when we look at this lesson, this lesson, we're going to see a lot of things about, okay, here's people that are going to be in leadership in the church, and we might call them elders or deacons or even pastors or whatever you want to call them, and we're going to talk about what kind of person that's supposed to be. What are they supposed to look like? We call it the role and the general role and then the kind of the characteristics of what they're supposed to be like. You could say, well, that doesn't really apply to me. You might even say, well, I'm a woman, and I'm probably not going to be an elder. Uh, but, or you could say, well, I'm probably, I'm a guy, but I'm probably don't see myself maybe in the, in the future as being an elder or a deacon in a church. Well, the truth is, all, when we get to the characteristics part, that's a, all that is is a mature believer. And every one of us in this room want to be mature believers. And so whether you're a man or a woman, when we start talking about the characteristics, now some of them are particularly just for a man, like husband of one wife, that kind of thing. But we're going to look at more of it as we go through it. And then there's some things toward the end that I talk about, some different tips and some things to expect when you're in leadership. And you might say, well, I'm probably not going to be in leadership in a church. Well, this is leadership in anything. You may be in a job somewhere, and you're a leader in your office, or you're a leader in your team, and it could be a sports deal, or it could be no telling what. So every one of us have opportunities to lead, and so some of the things we're going to talk about can apply to all of us. So a lot of it, we're going to talk about leadership in a local church and what to look for and those kind of things, but at the same time, you can make application of that. So if you want to, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to First Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5, we're looking at... This whole idea of leadership and leadership of servanthood, we saw last time, uh, as we just went over the quiz, we talked about, you know, that you've got to keep your word and be dependable and honest and uh, pers- pers- persevere, persistent, and then care about others. And now let's talk about the general role of leadership. What does a leader, and we're going to talk about the local church to begin with, but then every time you look through this, say, how would that apply to a person in leadership in anything that they're doing? Well, the first one, and we're talking about, let's talk about a, a local body. What about these people? And let me get this out of the way here. So this is called leadership, the role. And so the first thing is I've got four general roles in four key areas. And the first one is this, and that is First Peter 5, 1 through 5, is to set the example. As a leader in a local body, we're just going to talk about local body, and then sometimes we'll make applications but, uh, for us and generally. But if you look at a leader in a lo- in the local body, their role is to set the example. Look at First Peter 5, look at verse 1. He says, therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witnesses of suffering of Christ. Now, that's Peter writing, and he's calling himself an elder and a fellow elder with these others, and he's writing to them. And then he says, down in verse 3, as not yet lording over them, uh, those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. So the first thing that we see in leadership is that the leader's got to be an example. They've got to be an example of, of how to live and what to do and how to function and all that. And that's where the character comes in and that's where the skill. And that's why it says, you know, he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them with his skillful hands. We've got to be that way. Their lives must be examples to the rest of the body. So whether you're in leadership in a church or even in an office or a job or whatever, you need to be an example of, of what you're supposed to be like and what you're supposed to do. The second one, if you may notice, I don't really have a verse there, and I'm, I'm going to show you why. The second one is set the direction, and that's the idea of a plan and a, division, and a vision, and that means a leader has to say, this is what we're doing. This is where we're going. They, they have to have a plan. They have to have the vision. Now, I'm going to show you a verse that everybody uses that is incorrect, Okay, and go to Proverbs 29, okay, 29, 18. Let's just turn there for just a second. May take a second to get there. How many times have you heard this verse used? Where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. Happy is he who keeps the law. I've had many people say, you've got to have a vision. The Bible says where there is no vision, the people what? Some people say perish, but listen, this passage is not talking about somebody having a vision to say, let's decide what to do and let's go this direction. If you look at the flow of the passage, it literally in the Hebrew says, where there is no revelation. Talk about the scripture. Whether the people are what? Unrestrained. There's nothing to tell them what to do. And then he goes on to say, but happy is he who does what? 
keeps the laws. So don't use this verse, please. Don't ever use this verse and say, you know, you got to have a vision for your church. You got to have a vision for your office. You got to have a vision for your job and use this verse. Don't use it. That's not what it's talking about. It's basically saying, if you don't have the scripture in Revelation, people are unrestrained, but happy is the person who has the law, the word to live by. And I think maybe a better one might be Proverbs 16. Let me just throw this over here as Proverbs 16. Look over at this verse if we were thinking about a verse that might fit. The mind of, this is 16.9, the mind of a man plans his way. Wow. But the Lord directs his steps. So that might be a good one. And if you want to put that where a number two is, you could put Proverbs 16.9 where it talks about the plan and the vision. And the only reason I, I did that Proverbs one because, I mean, I, I, I was listening to Dave Ramsey yesterday on, you know, on a podcast. And he was talking about leadership and direction. And he said, you know, the Bible says where, where there's no vision, the people perish. Well, that verse doesn't say that. It actually says where there's no revelation, people are unrestrained. Nothing to hold them in check, but happy is the one who keeps the what? The law. So don't use that verse for a vision, okay? So uh, bottom line is uh, the whole idea is set the direction. Think about our church. <clears throat> what's, our, what's our purpose? What make us up? Where did we come up with that? I mean, we looked at the Scripture, right? But we as a church, leadership, the, the leaders, we, I mean, when we formed this church, we said, what's our purpose of our church? Make disciples. What's our, pro- what's our plan? Equip the saints, do the work of the ministry, build up the body of Christ. What's our process? Gathered and scattered. That, I mean, that's, that's so-called our vision, not from Proverbs. <laughs> but anyway, that's, that's our vision. So let's do that. The third, the third aspect of what they do is they, it's Ephesians 4.12, they lead by doing the ministry. Now, we set the example, but the leaders also lead by doing the ministry. They're the pattern. As Ephesians 4.12 says, equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry. Who does the work of the ministry? The saints. Who does the equipping of the saints as we do the work of the ministry? The leadership, but all of us actually do. And so the idea here is this general role is not only do we set the example, we have a plan or a vision, we lead by actually doing the ministry, and then the fourth thing is to be accountable, to stay accountable with self and others. The Galatians 6.1 basically talks about if, you know, if somebody fails or something, those who are in leadership uh, can help them. Those who are spiritual help them. We're supposed to stay accountable with each other, and we're supposed to be there. There's an old saying that uh, leaders are not exceptions to the rules. They're examples of the rules. I once visited a friend who was a pastor. I was pastor then too, but I went to him, and he said, you want to go up to the church, his church? I said, yeah. So he pulled up the church, and there was a sign, really, it said no parking. And he pulled into the no parking, and, and I said, hey, that's no parking. He said, yeah, I'm the pastor. I can park anywhere I want to. And I said, you're the pastor. You can't park anywhere you want to. Leaders are not exceptions to the rules. That's what happens when people get themselves in trouble is they're leaders or they're in a place of responsibility, and they think that the rules don't apply to them. And they have to apply to them. So that's the accountability aspect. Well, with that in mind, let's talk about the two offices. We already know them all. The two offices are are elders, uh, which is like bishops or pastors, and then the deacons, elders uh, and deacons. And, And at Stillwater Bible, we have them both. We have elders. I think we have seven. And we have what, five? Is it five deacons now? Five, I think it's five. So that's how we we look at it. There are two great passages for this, as you already know, as far as dealing with uh, elders and deacons, and it's found in First Timothy. First Timothy chapter three, starting at verse one, deals with elders, and verse eight deals with deacons. So if you actually said, I want to look in the Bible to see something dealing with elders and do something dealing with deacons, it would be First Timothy chapter three. Now Titus chapter one. Uh, gives you more information about elders. There's nothing about deacons in Titus. It's just in First uh, Timothy. So let's talk about, uh, I got the, the key words for elder are, and here they are. The first one <clears throat> is the word elder. <laughs> and what, you know, what that really means is it means an older person. It means a mature person. It doesn't necessarily mean you've got to be like 60 years old or something. You've just got to be mature. You've got to have been down the road, you might say. The, word, the Greek word is presbyteros, 
which means we get Presbyterian from it because that form of government is called an elder form of government. So in if you if you remember when we studied like even Sunday morning when the when the people came to Samuel and wanted a king, who came to see Samuel? The elders of the cities, the elders of the tribes, the mature, supposedly the mature men came. So in a church, we have what we call the elder, which is the mature person. And that person who's older, spiritually mature, even, even older in age a little bit, they help oversee, they shepherd the flock. The other, second word is the word bishop. And uh, we get the, 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 the Greek word for bishop, you ready for this, is episkopos. We get episcopalian from it because there's a person who oversees, and that's the person who directs and oversees things, that kind of thing. And then the third one is the word pastor. Those are used interchangeably in the Bible. Elder, bishop, and pastor. Pastor's one who shepherds the flock. So you could even say that the office of elder or leader in that sense is an older person, when I say older, more mature person, who helps oversee the body as they shepherd the flock. That's really what they do. Now, once again, you could say, well, I'm not, uh, that's not me. You know, you'd say that's not, well, but you do help oversee people. You do help shepherd people. You do do those kind of things. Okay, and uh, by the way, <clears throat> there's, there's a spiritual gift called pastor-teacher, elder-teacher. I think I have that. Uh, when people say, what are the gifts? I, I think I, if I was going to have to say a, a particular gift or limit any of my gifts, I would say I have the gift of teaching and maybe the gift of pastor-teaching. Pastor-teaching is a gift. The, 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 the elder or bishop or pastor is an office. It's not a spiritual gift. So a person doesn't have to have a particular spiritual gift to be an elder, bishop, or pastor. If you're going to be a pastor, teacher, you have that spiritual gift. Or you may just have the gift of teaching. There are some pastors who love to teach, but they don't get out with the people at all. They may have the gift of teaching, but they may not have the gift of pastor teaching. And uh, so I think that, that but, but we're talking about an office here. This is the office. Okay, then there's the, the word, the key word for deacon is what? Is servant, and we know what that means. It talks about the one who stirs up dust. Now, here's what we're going to do: we're going to we're going to we're going to go through the scripture, and I'm going to go fairly quickly because there's a lot here. We're going to go quickly through the characteristics. What what is this person supposed to be like, and and the lifestyle and character, uh, rather than qualification. I'll talk more about that in a second. We're going to see what is a person supposed to be like if they're supposed to be in a place of responsibility in a local church. Now, here's the key: you could even say tonight, well, Jimmy, I don't. Really care about that. Yeah, you, you should. Because number one, whether you're ever in a leadership position or not, you have a responsibility in this body of recognizing people who meet these characteristics and nominating them and helping them be in positions of leadership. It's your responsibility. Because we this coming this fall, it'll be September, we're going to say to you, would you, we've got some things to hand out, would you nominate someone for a position of leadership? How do you know who to nominate? How do you know what to look for? Well, we're going to talk about lifestyle and character. Some people uh, use the term qualifications. I don't use the term qualifications. People say qualifications for leadership. Well, you know, there's a bunch of things listed here. If they're qualifications, how many do you, how many do you have to have or how many eliminate you? If they're characteristics, they're what you're like. They're your, your, your lifestyle and your character rather than qualifications. I always say a qualification would be you had to be 6'2", 190. Characteristics, you had to be big, right? I mean, so there's a little bit different. So when you're looking at a person for a position of leadership, what do you look for? What kind of person do you look for? And that's, that's really what we're talking about. And so we're going to talk about three big areas, okay? The, and a and, uh, relationship to themselves, that's their character and their faith. And we're going to talk about that, uh, the, their moral character and their faith. So this is how they are to themselves. The second area is their relationship to the family, and that's their wife and children. Now, some people, I've had people say that you couldn't be a pastor or a leader in a church if you weren't married because there are characteristics dealing with wife and children. And I have to tell the story. When I was 
about to graduate from Dallas Seminary, I, uh, in those days what you did is you, you went to a board and there were ch- all these churches looking for pastors or whatever. And if you wanted to be inter- if you were interested, you put your name there and Dallas Seminary sent your resume. And there was this church in Florida, and it was for a pastor position. And I looked at it, and I went, well, I'll, t- I'll sign up for anything. So I signed up for it, and I got a letter from them about two weeks later saying I was not qualified to be a pastor since I was single. And I wanted to write them and say, would you hire Paul or Jesus? Because neither one of them were married either, as we can tell. Paul might have been married, but he, uh, we, we don't think so. But anyway, this is relationship to family and, ch- and child- wife and children. And then the other is relationship to others, okay? And we're going to look at both be- our relationship to believers and non-believers. Now, when we go through these characteristics, they're for a person in a leadership in a local church. They are also characteristics of a mature person. And so you look at this. And I look at this, and we say, how do we measure up in these kind of things? Now, some of them are going to be just for a man. We'll see it. But how, does, how do we measure up? How do we do that? So let's start with this. And we've got this. It says, the first prerequisite for everyone in leadership. And I want you to turn, just turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And instead of going back and forth and flipping around and trying to look at all these things, I'm just going to let, let you see the very first part, and then we're just going to look at it up here. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. Look at verse 1. This is the prerequisite for anyone for a leadership position. Are you ready? Look what it says. Chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 says, It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. What's the first characteristic? Desire it. Desire it. Desire the position. Listen, there are times that uh, you might say, Hey, I'm, I'm making this up because Adam already, he is a deacon in our church right now. But what if somebody, he wasn't, and somebody went to Adam and said, Hey, I want to nominate you for deacon. And he says... I don't want to. Okay, what's the first? What's the first prerequisite? They gotta kind of want to, you know. Now, some people want it for the wrong reason because they say, "I want to get in there because I want to control things." Well, that that won't work either. But so the first prerequisite, I mean, the, the overall thing is you gotta want want to do the job. You gotta say, "I'd like to be in a place of leadership. I'd like to help in that kind of thing." Okay, and so that's the very first thing a person must take that responsibility. There's a there's a there's a great book called Spiritual Leadership by J. Oswald Sanders, and uh, it is amazing book on spiritual leadership. We give them out to I think do you you got one don't you Adam? Because we give them to everybody that that gets on our board, and, and it is a great 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 book. Okay, here's the second thing. Okay, the second is as we see there's an overarching characteristic of anybody that's going to be in leadership, and the overarching characteristic is above reproach. Look at verse 2. An overseer then must be above reproach. Now, what does that mean? Because that could, if the truth is, that eliminates every one of us, right? I mean, none, none of us are completely above reproach in that sense. But what this means is that there's not, there's, there's, there's not a glaring weakness, that nobody's perfect. We're looking at characteristics, not qualifications. And the idea there is that there's no glaring weaknesses. I mean, sometimes you, you might know somebody that if somebody said their name, you'd go, well, be careful around them. See, there's a glaring weakness right there. There's something, you know. Um, so that kind of thing is stands out. But this is the idea of a person that 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 when you think about them, you you don't go, oh yeah, they're a, they're a jerk. Oh yeah, they lie. Oh, they're not trustworthy. You, you think of them, and you go, that's a good person. I like that person's wise. That person's mature. That side of thing. So the first prerequisite is you got to desire it. The overarching characteristic is you got to be kind of above reproach. You're not perfect, but you're you're a person that that's really growing as a believer, and that you're wise and those kind of things. And we'll talk more about. It. So let's start with, and I'm going to go. I'm going to go fairly quickly through some of these, uh, but I just want you to see them. The first one is relationship to self. And by the way, we're not going to take the time to go there. But in first, if you know First Corinthians nine twenty-four through twenty-seven, it's talking about running the race. And how do you run the race? You discipline yourself so that you won't be a castaway. So that you know and that doesn't mean you lose your salvation. It means that you don't get to serve. He says you discipline yourself. Then the key is self-control. If we're going to be Godly men and godly women, we've got to discipline ourselves for godliness. We have a we have a study that I wrote for men that we just it's just it's uh, it's Brian it's on the it's on Amazon now right it, what's it called discipline for godliness Brian took that thing how many years ago 
12, 2008, and it, you loved it. And Brian, like, caught on fire then. And he said, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a, a godly man. And this is what we're talking about. And it's, it goes back to 1 Corinthians. It says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Discipline yourself. Live a life in a, in a godly way. So with that idea, let's talk about the things. And the first one is moral character. This is all in your relationship to yourself. And when we talk about moral character, we're talking about how do you live it out. Okay, and here's the first one. I'm just, and I'm not gonna, we're not going to try to skip around because I've got them just listed. And, but they're all found in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. And, so, and this is dealing with uh, an elder person in place of leadership. The very first one is the husband of one wife. That's how it listed. It says, if any man wants to be that, he has to be a husband of one wife. Well, what in the world does that mean? It literally is mias gunakas andras, which means a one-woman man. That's Greek. Now, there are many people in many churches that as soon as they read one-woman man, they say that means a person cannot be in leadership if, what? They've ever been divorced. That's not what it's saying. If Paul wanted to say divorced, if God wanted to say they couldn't be divorced, there is a Greek word for divorce. He didn't say that. He said one woman man. And what he's saying is this is the kind of man that connects with one woman. He's not the kind of man that's always making a move on somebody else. or something. This is the kind of guy. And you can be a single guy and be a type of a one woman type man. And this is what he's talking about. This is a characteristic and this is the, the kind of man that, uh, that, that you're looking for. And he says it's a one-woman man is committed to one woman. I know people who take this so, so legalistically that I knew a guy that was an elder in his church. His wife died, and he said, I'm not a one-woman man anymore because I don't have a woman. And then somebody tried to talk him out of that. Then he said, well, if I marry another woman, then I'm out there too because I've had two women. And... We said, that's not what it's talking about. And many of you, I have, I've had two really good friends who are in ministry now, been in ministry for years, but both of them, when they graduated from seminary, both of them were divorced. One of them was when he, he, went, off to, he went off to Korea for the war. And when he came back, the one he was married to divorced him and Went off with somebody else. And then I had another good friend that when he went to seminary, while he was in seminary, his wife had an affair and divorced him. So they both came out of seminary as divorced men. And they applied for churches. And many churches said, you've been divorced. You can't, be, you can't qualify. That's not what this passage says. So if somebody ever comes to you and says, if a person's ever been divorced, they can't be in leadership. That's not what the scripture says okay i just wanted to get that first one i spend a little bit more time on that first one because it really makes me mad when people try to make the scripture say something that it doesn't say this is not it's not meaning unmarried or divorced because immediately uh, there were people who said to me you're not married so you're not a one woman man you can't be a pastor i've even had some say you don't have children, or children. I said, what if you had one child? Because see, it says having children. So you can't be an, a, an elder unless you're married and have at least two children. That's what they're saying if you take it from a legalistic standpoint. So husband of one man, I just wanted to, to bring that one out. The second word, that, uh, if, uh, by the way, if a guy's not loyal here, he's going to have trouble in all other areas, Right? I mean, this is a key. I mean, this is lifestyle. This is life. This is the one you say, I love you, and I'm spending the rest of my life with you, and I'm committed to you, that kind of thing. So if you're not loyal, loyal here, you're not loyal. Okay, the second one is the word temperate. Now, when you hear the words, I'm going to tell you what the Greek word means because sometimes the English word tells us something else. Like temperate, we, we go, what does that mean? This means a proper perspective on life. That's what it really means. It has the idea of to choose and know what is important. Have you ever heard people say, uh, you don't want to just choose the good thing, you want to choose the what? The best thing. This is, this is that idea of a person who says, I'm looking for not just a good thing, I'm looking for the best thing. That's what this kind of person is. Now, once again, even as we look at these characteristics and we're saying this is for a leadership in a church, it could be any of us, men or women, in this room saying, what kind of person am I? Am I this kind of person? 
The third word is the word prudent. Now that means a lot of things to different people, but here's what it really means. It means a balanced and proper view of self and God. A balanced view of yourself and God. Now let me show you what that means. That means recognize we're a sinner and fall short of God, but God, but fall short, but God has forgiven and restored us. You remember I told you that, I, that a lot of people go through life saying, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. They got the wrong view of themselves. We all are sinners and come short of the glory of God, but God loves us, forgives us, makes us his child, makes us a new creation. So a prudent person is the person who understands the balance of who we are and who God is. Listen, let me ask you a question. Can you do great things for God? Yes. In your power? No. In God's power? Yes. That's what makes you great. That's that balanced view of saying, listen, I'm, I'm an old human being, normal, and I'm fallen and everything, <clears throat> but I love God, and I want to serve him, and in his power, I can do that. That's what a prudent person, that's what we're talking about. The next one is respectable. Respectable. And <laughs> you ready for this one? It has nothing to do with your reputation. This Greek word means balanced life. It means a balanced life. It means a person not getting off on tangents. I had a, a friend that was in ministry, and the only thing he wanted to talk about always was resurrection. Now, there's nothing wrong with resurrection. We just talked about the greatest event of all time. But no matter what he wanted to talk on, no matter what people said, he kept saying, we got to go back to the most important. He, listen, he wasn't balanced. He didn't talk about redemption. He didn't talk about Christian life. He didn't, I mean, he just, it was always one thing. So uh, respectable means you don't get off on the tangents. You, you hold, you're well-ordered, you're balanced. The next one is not addicted to wine. Anybody in here addicted to wine? <laughs> what does that mean? You know what the Greek actually means? It means not staying long at drink. That's like a person that would go and just drink and drink and drink and drink. Now, this is not saying that you can't drink. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever heard people say that it is a sin to drink? Anybody ever taught you that it was a sin to drink? Is it a sin to drink? Did Jesus drink? Did Jesus make real wine? Was it the best wine? Right. Okay. So it, drinking is not a sin. Getting drunk is a sin. Drinking... It's not a sin, but there are times when, whether it's a sin or not, I mean, whether you're getting drunk, you probably might not should drink. There are times when there might be a weaker brother or a weaker sister, or there might be a time. Let me tell you, I grew up in Mississippi, and in Mississippi, if you drank, and you're supposed to be like a deacon or somebody in a church, you're out, you're gone, because drinking was considered a sin, okay? Just like dancing sometimes was considered a sin. You should play cards. Some people said you shouldn't play cards. See, so some people have these views. This is just saying <clears throat> that you're not the kind of person that likes to drink. And in that day and time, just about everybody drank because they didn't have good water. And the alcohol helped purify the water. In fact, most people believe that most of the, the wine that they drank was very diluted wine. And when you see the term strong drink, that would be what we might call normal alcohol. So most people didn't drink strong drink. This is the idea of not addicted to wine. And some, there's some people that they, they, they love alcohol. And a person's going to be in leadership. Uh, and let me just say this. If you're going to be in leadership no matter where, you've got to be careful in all these areas. Did you know that the king of Israel, we're going to see it, we're going to get some more information about the king of Israel. The king of Israel was not supposed to get drunk. And whenever the king made a ruling as the king, he was not supposed to drink at all. Same with the priest. Because they were afraid that the alcohol might cl cloud their, their, their thinking. And so when people talk about alcohol, uh, listen, my advice to people is, um, I mean, I don't drink at all. Not because I think it's a sin. I just don't drink because, first of all, I don't like it. And I would not like drinking something that made me different, made me maybe say things or do things. I just, I, I don't want that. I don't want that. I mean, I, if when I mess up, I want to mess up because I know I messed up. You know? <laughs> <laughs> At least I know I messed up. You know? So my, I, I, young people talk to me all the time. Sometimes and they say, what do you think about drinking? I say, listen, it's not a sin. 
but it could be a sin according to the situation where you're in. If you're causing somebody else to stumble, that might be a sin. Second is if you get drunk, it's a sin. But my advice is I would never drink just because why would you put, it costs a lot of money. Drink Coca-Cola, drink water, drink something else. Why would you do this, you know? And, but I don't, I've, I've never understood it because I don't like it. It's a, and I don't understand why people like it, but that's just me. Okay. Alcohol would, could not, would not be the issue. The next one is free from the love of money. Wow. And that's not materialistic, not controlled by. And by the way, the, uh, the, the idea of free from the love of money has nothing to do with how much money you have. Because I've known people who are so wealthy and they'll give away everything they got and they don't even care. And I've known people who are, who are not wealthy at all and they're such tight wads and, and materialistic. So this is a person that I, I think if you really turned it around, it's the kind of person that says, you know, I, oh, you need this? I give it to you. And they, they just realize that things are not are not that important. And uh, well, I think we some of us have to grow in that area. I have to tell you, when I was coaching at Mississippi State, I was 24 years old. <clears throat> this last, I went there when I was 23, and I was not very mature as a Christian. I was not growing even, and and I my salary was not real big. I mean, I'm I'm you know young guy. And I remember that I was with one of these other coaches who'd been a coach for a long time, and he had, he had a much bigger salary. And he walked into the store, and he bought like six sweaters. And, and I thought, oh, I, I want to be able to buy six sweaters. You know, I thought that. And now, listen, you could put six sweaters down there. I don't care anything about it. I mean, I just don't. Th- but at that stage, I was into a little bit of materialism. I wanted this, and I, I had a sports car and uh, stuff like that. And so, and, and I was. But now, I don't. I just, by the grace of God, I don't really care that much about things. As long as I have them, I don't really care much about them. But anyway, but this is materialism, and we don't want to be materialistic, and that's for all of us. And then um, not self-willed. Oh, my gosh, this is something. This means you don't have to have your way. And, and you know what we realize is this, that mo- many times we're not going to have our way. I mean, you know, if you're in a place of leadership and you say it's got to be my way or the highway, well, you won't be in leadership very long because it doesn't work that way. You know, uh, you know it, so this is a person that doesn't have to have their way all the time. Now, we're still talking about this person's, his personal aspect, a relationship to himself. And there's one more, and that's devoted. And the word is sometimes holy, is sometimes listed as holy or devout or devoted. And this, just, this word just means seeks to please God in their lifestyle. That's all it means. You know, it, this is not a word that says hagios, like set apart. That's not, this is not what this word just means, to please God. And so when you look at this person, it, let's say the man in leadership, he's got to be a one-woman type man. He's got to have a proper perspective on life. He's got to understand who he is. He's got to ha- not be in off on tangents. He's not got to be into alcohol or, or money or have to have his way. But he wants to be a person to please God. You can look at yourself and for if you're a woman, just eliminate the first one and say, what about all these others? What about me? Am I temperate in that sense? Do I, do I have a proper perspective on life? What about wine or alcohol? What about money? What about the love of money? That kind of things, you know. Uh, so those kind of things. All right. Now, with that in mind, we move to the area of faith. In other words, what, are there, what is the aspect of faith of a person who's going to be in leadership? And the very first one is you cannot be a novice, which means you can't be a new believer. You cannot be a new believer. Why? Because it takes time to grow. Scripture says they just have, ha- I don't know what, hasn't had time to grow. Scripture says they haven't, I didn't put this together, but ha- they hadn't had time to grow is what I would say. Listen, I have to tell you this story. When I was coaching at Mississippi State, I had a young guy. He came off to college, and he came and was helping, working under me at Mississippi State with the football thing. And he was on fire. He got all excited about it. When he first got there, he wasn't in. I had a little Bible study for guys, and he got in it, and he got on fire. And he started going to a church in town that was a Baptist church. And, and he's 19 years old. And he comes to me, and he says, you know, I don't believe this, Coach Bond. They made me a deacon. And I went, they made you a deacon? I said, you're 19 years old. And he said, yeah, they said I was the most fired up of all of them. I said, well, you may be the most fired up of all of them, but you haven't had that much time. I mean, you can't be a sort of a brand-new believer. You can't just be somebody who says, I'm all excited, because everybody's all excited at first. And let me tell you, how many people do you know are excited for a while, and they're not excited after that? 
And so what the Bible says you've got to look at a person. You've got to give time to look at their life and to see things, you know, that, that idea. The second aspect is able to teach. Now, be careful because I've had people when they see this and it says able to teach, they think you've got to have the gift of teaching. No, you don't. you just got to be able to communicate God's truth. Every one of us in this room can communicate the truths of what you know to somebody else. You could tell somebody how to have eternal life. You could tell somebody how to, how to you know, look at the Scripture, how to put things together. You can tell things that you know. This is what a person in leadership has got to be able to do. Communicate. Communicate what they believe, why they believe it. And then the, the last one, uh, no, the gift of teaching is not required. I put that there. And then the last one is holding fast to the Word of God. And this simply means living according to the Bible. And I want to read Titus 1.9 to you, okay? I just want to read it to you because it's really amazing. <clears throat> Here's what it says. It says, Holding fast the word which is in accordance with the teaching... So that, and here's what they'll be able to do. Why do you hold to the Word of God? So that be able to exhort sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. Look at this. So that we've got to live by the Word. Why? So we'll be able to exhort, which means teach the Bible and exhort people to say, this is what it says, live this way, do this, do this way, and be able to refute others, defend the truth. So as a person in leadership, especially in a local church, they're going to have to know the Bible so, and live by the Bible so they can build others up and help them understand it and at the same time be able to show people. And, 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 and you're not jumping on the people. You're helping them see how the Bible fits together. So in relationship to yourself and to, to, to personal self and then your faith, we've seen those things. The next area is relationship to the family. Is, did everybody get all that down? I went a little bit fast there, but I'm just looking at time. Uh, able to manage the home. Uh, able to take care of the house. That means you've got to pay the bills, keep responsibilities. And for men, for a man in a place of leadership, the Bible actually says if you can't take care of your house, how are you going to take care of the, the church of God? How are you going to do able to do that? And and First Timothy 3, 5 basically talks about taking care of your, the family and the responsibilities and those kind of things like that, managing the home. And then the second part under this is having control of your children. And, uh, and you know, when people see this, they, they don't know really what to take. The, 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 basically, handle with dignity. And it actually says faithful children. That's why a person in a place of leadership in a church doesn't need to be 19 years old. They need to be a person. Let's talk about the man. They need to be a man who's old enough to have children that you look at and see, how are these kids doing? Are they faithful children? Are they not faithful children? How do they handle them? How do, how do they handle their household? And so that's an important part. Now, and if you're not talking about leadership at church, but just leadership, I mean, it's, it's important to be able to manage your home and take care of your, your family and those kind of things. Uh, now, the last one is relationship to others. I'll go really fast on this part because I've got some really good things I want to talk about toward the end. So the relationship to others, and I think we've got a few of those. Here, here they are, and look at this. So we've seen relationship to yourself, and there's a character issue. You've seen relationship to the family, and that's taking care of the family and the husband and the wife and children and everything else. Now, how do we deal with relationship to people, other people? Well, here's the first one, not pugnacious. Do you know what pugnacious means? It means you fight people. You want to hit people. And, and listen, I had a friend that was a pastor, and in a deacon's meeting, one of the deacons punched the other deacon in the face. And, of course, that was it for him. They asked him to leave after that. I mean, he got so mad, he hit a guy. Some people can get mad without hitting, but some people, they just they want to hit, they want to do sort of things. And he basically saying you can't do that if you're going to be in leadership, right? All right, think about that, okay? That means it doesn't like to fight. Some people like to fight. I'm a lover, not a fighter, right? And that's the whole thing everybody used to say. Okay, how about gentle and hu the, the whole idea of kindness? Gentle means humility. It means concern for others. That's what this word means. It means kindness and concern for other people. And we're, you know, we're talking about all kind of people here, you know. And then the third one is hospitable. Now, most people, when they see that word, they're not sure what that means. But it has the idea of opening their home. And the Greek actually means lover of strangers, do you know why it comes up to that? Because hospitality was in those days, there weren't hotels and stuff, and somebody might travel, and they'd go to a town, they'd go to a, a village, a place, they didn't know anybody, they'd go up to somebody's house and knock on the door and say, I'm passing through, do you have a 
Do you have a place for me to spend the night? And a lover of strangers or a hospitable person would open their home. And especially in the first century, when you read, if you read Second and Third John, and John writes that, and he talks about people who were going around spreading the gospel and people opening their homes to take care of them. And that's what this means. And so the idea here is that you, got, you care about people and you open your home. And it's not, you know, it, it, it's not like, you know, you, you say, y'all come over. Some people say, well, they can't come over to the house they didn't clean enough. Who cares? Well, listen, who cares about stuff like that? When you're really talking about caring about people, it just, you open your home. That's what that word means. Can you say that one more time for the camera? Yeah. Open your home and don't worry about whether the house is clean or not because people coming over don't really care, especially if you're a man. You just want to come over and have a good time with your friends. You don't care whether it's clean or not. You want a Coca-Cola and a steak or a hamburger that's what you want <laughs> that's why you come over okay and that's going to be forever on this camera you know okay all right okay the next one is a good reputation and this is this is a good reputation for those outside the church with unbelievers you, you don't understand that as a believer in this community you you need to have a good reputation with the unbelievers i know that sounds weird and sometimes people say i don't even like them what do you mean? you don't even know them Many of them, they, they don't know. They don't even know what we believe. They don't know what it's all about. I have to tell you, when I first came to town, there was a person in the, the church that I was in that did not have a good reputation. And I, was, I had just come to town. I'd been here about three weeks. And I was single. And it was a Monday. And I didn't have anything to do. You know? So I, walked down, I went downtown Stillwater. And I was standing... On the corner, just standing there thinking about, well, I want to go get something to eat or something. And this woman, I did not know her. She came storming up to me. And I mean, she got right there. And she said, I know who you are. You're the pastor of. And, she, and I said, yes, ma'am. And she said, and she named the name. And she said, as long as that person's in your church, I would never set foot in your church. And she turned around and walked off. I said, I didn't even know this lady. You know? And so, obviously, that person did not have a good reputation with people in the community, and it's really true. So, this idea there is you've got to have a good reputation. The next, uh, the attractive lifestyle, then this one is not quick-tempered. Now, this is wild. This means a short fuse. People get mad really easy. You know people that way. I, uh, I once uh, was in a church, and we were building. We were going we to redo the stage. The stage was small. So we got in there, and we were going to redo it. And so we got a committee, and it was like me and another person and another person and another person. And we were all going to meet at 12 o'clock at the church to discuss the stage, how we were going to build it. Well, 12 o'clock came, 12, 10 came. All three guys were there. One guy was still missing. So the rest of them, like 30 minutes passed. And they said, we got to go back to work, so we better work on this. So we worked it up and kind of said, this is the way we're going to make the stage. And about the time that everybody's about to leave, this person drives up and says, hey, I'm sorry. And then we said, okay, we've, we've got this. He said, you didn't wait on me? And we said, no, we, we didn't have time. And he got so mad, he screamed at us, got in his car, peeled out of the parking lot, and, and went home. And I, so I, I went and called his house, and his wife answered the phone. And I said, I need to talk to him. I know he's really mad. She said, he'll never talk to you right now. And then she hung up on me. That was what we call the quick-tempered person, right? <laughs> I mean, let's face <laughs> They got mad really quick, and that was, that was it. And uh, Because he thought we should have waited on him. But they waited like 35 minutes, and he wasn't there. And then we did it all in about 15 or 20 minutes. So he got there when everybody was supposed to be leaving, and then he got mad. The last one is just and fair. I mean, we know what that means. You just you treat others fairly. You treat others the way that you, that, that you want to be treated. And this is the reputation, and this is how we deal with other people. So we've seen how we deal with ourselves, how we deal with our family, and how we deal with our others. Now, for deacons, it's, uh, look, let me show those favoritism. For a deacon, the key thing is the same thing, that when you look at the characteristics of deacons, they're almost the same. There is one statement that says... Deacons, the key is to hold to the mystery of the faith with a good conscience. These men must also first be tested. And here's what we do at uh, Stillwater Bible. When a person gets nominated for a deacon, sometimes we, 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 we put them onto the board if we've been seeing them for a while. 
if we haven't seen somebody for a while and somebody nominates them and we talk to them and they're great people, sometimes we say things like, well, why don't you do this? Let's, let's, watch, let's watch you the next year. And then, because see, it says, let them be tested first and then let them serve. And so we don't just automatically put somebody on the board because somebody nominates them. And we've got a process also that a person doesn't become an elder first. We put people in a place of deacon first and then elder later. So I just wanted you to see that. There's one key thing that sort of stands out, and this is this holding fast to the mystery of the faith, and that is these men must be above reproach in all of these areas, the same as an, as a, as an elder uh, in the areas of themselves, their families, and others. And I love this holding to the mystery of the faith. Once again, it doesn't matter whether you're elder or deacon or a leader or a leader, if you're leading the children's stuff, if you're leading in youth, if you're leading in one hotel or what, if you're helping with women's ministry, it doesn't matter. If you're going to be any kind of place of leadership, you've got to be these kind of people. Now, with that in mind, I want to talk about leadership for a minute. And I want to talk about, I've got expectations, skills, and tips. You see that in your little book, right? See those three things? We're, I want to talk about if you become a leader, if you're in a place of leadership, whether it is in a church or whether it's in anything that you're doing, here's some things I want you to, to expect Here's some skills that we need to develop, and just here's some tips about life, okay? And I think we got about 15 minutes, so I want to go over these things, and I want you to be excited about this, okay? I want you to think about it. So what to expect when you're in leadership, okay? What to expect? First of all, from without, from other people, expect ridicule, okay? Now, I know that sounds bad, but expect ridicule. Expect the fact that people are going to ridicule you when you're making decisions and choices and helping lead. There are going to be some people who will, they will assassinate your character. They'll make fun of you. Every, listen, there are many of you are in leadership now, and you already know exactly what I'm saying. You get put in leadership, people take shots at you, people say, well, I wouldn't do it that way. I don't like him. You know, he did this, or he did, and they will assassinate you. So expect Expect that if you're in leadership that somebody's going to ridicule you, okay? The second thing is expect to be criticized. Now, that, that is it. Because they're going to tell you. People will tell you where you're wrong because it's not the way they want to do things. And let me tell you this. People will criticize you, and many times they, won't, they don't have an answer. They just want to criticize what you're doing, okay? So just expect that. In a place of leadership, expect that people will criticize you. The third one is they'll try to attack you and stop you. Do you realize that a lot of people do not want you to succeed? When you're in a place of leadership, when you're, whether you're overseeing children's ministry, overseeing something else, overseeing something at your job, overseeing something, there are some people that do not want you to succeed. You'd think that a lot of people would be for you, but uh, a lot of people are not for you when you're in a place of leadership. It's just, it's just the way it is. They will try to stop you. They will try to attack you. They, uh, they, and then the fourth one is they want you to compromise your beliefs and your goals. Listen, I have to tell you this. Okay, what's our message of salvation? That salvation is a gift simply by what? By faith alone and Christ alone for eternal life. When I was in another church, four families came to me. And they said, you're too strong on the grace message. You're making it uh, too easy. You're telling people that all they do is believe in Christ and they have eternal life. And I said, well, that's all you have to do. To and they said, no, we think you need to back off on that or else we're going to leave. And I said, gosh, we're going to miss you really badly. <laughs> and all four of them left. All four families left. And because they wanted us to compromise what we really believed as a church. What would we do now if somebody comes and says, we think y'all are too strong on this? Or we don't think that you ought to be talking about making disciples so much, right? What are you going to say? Well, okay, but we'll change. No, we're going to, if you're a leader, if you're leading this local body, if you're helping it, you're going to say, no, we, we, they want you to change. They do. They want you to cave in. You got what this whole woke mentality now, right? They want you to cave into everything. If it's not what they think, they're going to jump all over you, and they think if they jump all over you, you'll just, you'll wilt like a, like a flower right there. So that's what to expect. That's what to expect from outside. What about from within, from your own self? Well, first of all, just expect to be discouraged sometimes. Ministry is, discourages you. Leadership discourages you. You know why? 
You got to be the one. It, it comes back to you. The buck stops where? With the leader and most of the time. And even if you didn't do it, they blame you anyway, right? So you get, you get discouraged if you're not careful because it's that whole idea of just lonely at the top. Well, first of all, it shouldn't be lonely at the top because anybody that's in leadership needs to have all their friends and everybody else around them and all their people who are all working together. But sometimes you get discouraged. Sometimes you just get tired. You get tired. And, 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 and when I say tired here, it's like you want to quit. Listen, I, I just read, I get, I get this stuff all the time because as a pastor I get, on, you know, I get these emails and, and there is a huge number of pastors who've resigned within the last year in the United States over the whole COVID thing. They just said, I can't take it. I can't take the fact that people aren't coming. I can't take the fact we don't know if we're going to make the budget. I can't take the fact that people are so scared. I just can't keep doing this. And they quit. There's, there's a large percentage. There's, there's like 20 or 30% of pastors in the United States who have quit within the last year, have just resigned from their churches. And, and sometimes when you get tired, let me tell you, Monday is never a good day, okay? Because I spend a lot of energy on Sunday, right? And, and, uh, and on Mondays, I'm tired. If somebody came to me and said, you've got to make some kind of decision today, I said, I don't think I can. I'm too tired right now. I'm not, I'm not think, I won't think as straight as I might by if you get to Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday. Because, you know, we get tired in ministry, and that's, that's what happens. And then the, the third one is to begin to doubt. Is, am we really doing the right thing? Are we doing what we're supposed to do? Do I have the ability? Now, listen, I want you to think about this because I'm going to show you something. They, they begin to say, I wonder if I'm doing right, and I'm wondering if I'm doing it. I'm wondering if I'm going to make it. And they begin to doubt themselves. And let me tell you something. You should always doubt yourself because your confidence is not in you. Your confidence is in Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, if, if God ever uses me, it's not because of me. It's because of God using me. Okay, it may be my gifts, talents, and abilities that he's given me. It may be my personality. It may be those kind of things. But I, I don't say, I wonder if I can do it. No, what I say is, I know God can do it through me. There's a difference. And so if you ever begin to doubt how you lead, what you do, just remember, the authority and the confidence is God, not you. It's not, can you do it? It's, can God use you to do it? And he will. If you focus on yourself, it's pride, arrogance, and jealousy. If you focus on Christ, it's humility and meekness marked by the fruit of the Spirit. What, what's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What's the deeds of the flesh? Envy, anger. I mean, just you start looking at the differences. When you look to yourself, you'll always doubt. When you look to Christ, you'll never, you'll never with that in mind, let's talk about some skills to develop. Okay, you ready? Here's what it was. Number one, reading. Read. I know some now, men, historically, are not. once they're out of college or once they're out of high school, men don't read a lot. They just never have. In fact, that's why you go into bookstores, especially Christian bookstores, and there's a million trinkets and all these flowery things and everywhere, and you start saying, where are all those, those, uh, where are those commentary-type books when they go? Oh, we don't carry those. Why not? Well, because women don't use them as much as men. I mean, let's just face it. Men aren't readers, and when they do read, they read deep, deeper stuff. But what I want you to do is become a reader, and because readers are leaders. It's true. It's true. And, 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 and dig it and, and read books and read all kind of books. Let me tell you, I, I, um, I started this. I've, I've always read a lot. But about five years ago, I said, I read all the time, and I never write down the books that I read. So for the last five years, every time I read a book, I write it down. And the first year I started doing it, I read 51 books. Okay, so that's a book a week. But the next year, I read 70-something books. And last year was one of my lower times. I read 68 books. And the year before that, I read 90-something books. I mean, think about that. That's two books a week on some of these things, almost two books a week. I read fast. I mean, I don't understand anything I read because of my dyslexia, <laughs> but man, do I read fast. I can read a book and say, I read it, but I have no idea what it said. But anyway, I can read fast. And, but let me tell you, I read everything I can find. I read novels, and I read Bible books, and I read history, and I read anything I want to read. And you should read a lot. Because, you know, you might say, man, I wish, I wish Howard Hendricks was alive so I could talk to him. You got his books. 
You can read what he thought and what he put down. You don't have to have the person. Okay, so readers are leaders. So develop reading skills. Set a time to read and read the Bible. Golly, read the Bible over and over and over because the more you read it, it starts coming together and you'll remember things and you'll love it. The second thing is get writing skills. Now, I'm not very good at writing. I'm just not. And that keep a journal. That helps. Take notes. That helps. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, go to somebody that, that, you know, write stuff down and then take it to somebody that you trust and say, does this make any sense? And they'll say, no, it doesn't. And then you say, well, how do I help it get it better? I mean, so you want to be able to write. Because what's happened now with Internet and email, nobody writes anything anymore. They just say words. And there's no punctuation. There's nothing. And in the old days, people wrote, and they had subjects and verbs and objects and everything. And we don't have that anymore. So do that. They're listening skills. Learn to listen. That's not very easy because if you're like me, you want to talk. You want to tell everybody what you know. You know, here's the deal. Be slow to speak, right? And learn to listen. I had a, I had a friend. Her name was Karen Jones. And she was in Mississippi. And her husband was one of my good friends. He was one of my groomsmen. When Karen talked to you, she made you feel that you were the only person in existence. She looked right at you. She listened to everything that you said. And it could be eight million things going on, and she never takes her eyes off of her. Now, she passed away. I love her. She died, got cancer and died. But she, she could listen. And if you sometimes talk to people, and they're always doing this, and you're thinking, are they even listen, listening to me? So we want to develop listening skills. And then, uh, and then speaking skills. Now, that's not, that's not as easy. You've got to practice, you know, to speak. Listen, I, I, I've told y'all this, that, that I love getting up. I love teaching. Now, if you tell me, get up and um, be like an MC, uh, I'm the, I, I can't do that. See, I, I'm actually a shy person. I'm actually shy. I know it doesn't seem like it because of my personality that's outgoing things, but I'm shy. I'd rather be by myself a lot of times. And so if you said, teach the Bible, I go, man, I'm in. Let's go do it. If you said, why don't you be an MC for this program? I go, I can't do something like that. I just can't do it. And so you have, to, you have to practice opportunities to speak. I know people who join different things. I can still remember in college. This is, this is, I, this is before I became a believer. And I had to, we had to take uh, a speech class. You had to take it. And you had to give three speeches during the semester. I can still remember sitting at my desk. I was the next one to go. And my hands are like this. And I'm sitting there thinking, how am I going to get through this? How am I going to get through this? And now I speak so much. People say, do you get nervous if there's a lot of people? I go, no, the more people, the better. So practice speaking. Learn to get up and to communicate. Uh, that's, a, that's a great skill to develop. And let me give you now some tips, and then we'll, we'll end this thing right here. Okay, now I'm going to have to go fast. First of all, you've got to know your strengths and your weaknesses. Now, a lot of people will say things like, Work on your weaknesses, you know. Now, work on your strengths. <laughs> Let me tell you, if, if you're, if you're uh, let's say that with one skill, you're a nine, and with another skill, you're a two, and you say, I'm going to work on my two, listen, you might get that thing up to a four, but that's still not very good. So what you want to develop is this thing right here. You want to be really good at some of those things. So work, work on your strengths first. I mean, it's okay to, to, to do that. The second one is get with significant people. And when I say significant people, people you think are significant, people that, that impact you, people that you want to get with and pick their brain, so to speak, or talk to them about something or, or say, I want to talk to you about this or I want to get with you. Listen, Prof. Hendricks was, was amazing at Dallas Seminary. He was a great professor. And I came to Stillwater and I'd been at the church about a year and a half. And so I wanted to make sure that what we were thinking, and I thought about back then, make disciples, do this, do this. I, I had this idea that what I needed to do was get a group of men and train them, okay? But I, I drove all the way to Dallas and made an appointment to meet with Prof. Hendricks, and that's not very easy in those days to get an appointment with him, and I got an appointment with him, and I didn't even know if he'd remember me, and I walked in the door, and he knew, my, he knew me, and he said, oh, I remember you, I remember what you said, and we've talked, you know, I actually graded for him, so I, you know, and, and I, I spent time with him, and I said, Prof, am I doing, is, what do you think? He said, oh, you're doing great, you're doing great, just keep doing that, especially develop being with those men, you gotta, that's, that's what, that was what, he, so get with people. 
In your area, whatever your area is, you may say, I'm into real estate. Well, then find somebody that's really good and get with them and say, hey, I want to learn from you. I want to I gain some things. I want to grow. I want to know this. So get with significant people. The third one is give others the three A's. That means when you relate to people, give them the three A's. You know what the three A's are? The first one is give them attention. When you give them attention, what does it make them feel? important. You want people to feel important because let me tell you something, people are important. They're made in the image of God. They are valuable. Don't ever look down on other people. Just realize that everybody is important and valuable in their own way. None of us have the same strengths and skills. Some people are really good at one thing. Some people are really good at the others. That kind of thing. So show them attention. That shows them important. Second is affirm them. Encourage them. Tell them they're doing good. Encourage them and say, you know, you're doing great. You're doing great. Or, man, I, you know, you've improved so much in this. I mean, in fact, you're almost up to a two now. You know, I mean, there's something like that. But anyway, encourage them. Affirm them. And then the third thing is appreciate them. Let them know they're making a difference. Let them know they're making a difference. Um, it's powerful. It's powerful. And then the fourth thing, I think is one more in there, one more tip, and that is cultivate your spiritual life. You've got to spend time with Jesus Christ. You've got to spend time in the Bible. You've got to spend time reading. You've got to spend time praying, writing, talking, spending time with him. Because You've got to do that. You've got to. Strength comes from your relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. And we can go through life without him or we can go through life with him, and that's the key. So bottom line, those in leadership must be mature men. This is talking about the church. Mature men set apart to help direct the ministry of the local body and are growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. For all of us, men or women, these characteristics in relationship to yourself and your family, in your relationship uh, to others and, and how you relate to, to knowing the Bible and these skills that we've talked about and, and uh, these tips and all these kind of things, uh, they're going to help you and it can be for any of us. And so when time comes next fall and we say, would you nominate someone, think back about the things here and what kind of person do you want to nominate? Well, here's our, here's our scripture verse. It's a little bit long. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, not because you have to, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, not for money. No, you don't do it for the money, but with eagerness and not lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. Boy, that is such a powerful, powerful truth.